Hey guys, welcome back to Pins vs. Lens. I am Andrew, and I'm here with Alice Rackham. Hi. Hey. Hi. Uh, today we are doing the story of Emma, and I'm doing the 1995 film Clueless, directed by uh, not Alicia Silverstone, directed no, by. No, that's weird. Directed by Amy Heckerling, uh, who is known best known for also Fast Times at Ridgemont High and some other sort of high school coming of age stories. And I've never uh, seen that. it's pretty good. It's it's some say her best film. She What's has it? been she has been quoted saying that her best character she has ever written was Jeff Spicoli, played by Sean Penn, who is like the guy in the classroom. He like orders pizza during class, and he's wow. Like, and she you says, "You can't do that." I'm pretty sure that's illegal. <laughs> um, anyways, you did that, didn't you? Yeah, one, just to be like him. But uh, uh, Clueless is uh, starring Alicia Silverstone or Batgirl. It is the story of Batgirl falling in love with Ant Man, and no. <laughs> uh, um, I'm pretty sure that's uh, how the story goes in Emma too. I'm sure that's what Jane Austen envisioned in her. Ant-Man and Bad Girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Clueless, in order to uh, sort of make the moviegoers happy and, I feel, to stay true to the book, there's a lot of use of voiceover. So, everything mm-hmm. you learn is through VO, through um, uh, Cher's VO, who is uh, the equivalent to Emma in the book. And... Um, she sort of moves the story along. She's an unreliable narrator because uh, she has a very limited view of the world. And do you like that the use of voiceover in like adapted books or adapted movies? You know, does it feel like cheating? Almost always, yes. You almost always like it. No, I almost always think it's cheating. Oh, okay. I usually hate it. Did you like it in this one? Um, I did like it in this one because uh, she is such a... It's a very unique way of of introducing the character. As an audience member, you know... You feel smarter and you know better than her. Because she has just this very limited, like, view of people and society. And then, like, during debate class, you get to hear her give these ridiculous, like, speeches on immigration. She calls the (laughs) Haitians Hadians. Which was actually a slip from Alicia Silverstone, and they just kept no. it. They, they, she, <laughs> the director told the crew and, and cast not to correct her. So her voiceover is is a lot of fun. It's a driving force to everything in the movie, and it's one of the rare cases where I I actually enjoyed listening to her thoughts because it's something that I would never consider. Uh, it's just it's just such a narrow, comically. You wouldn't comically call Haitians, Haitians? You wouldn't say that. Well, I might, but um, but her 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 point of view is is very optimistic, but it's just comically narrow and it's it's unique to me, and so I did enjoy that part of the uh, of the film. What I didn't understand, and it's fine, but I just it still freaks me out a little bit that she falls in love with her half-step brother who I know there's no oh. blood relation between them but 
It still How felt weird. How old is weird. he supposed to be? Because isn't she like 16 or 18? She's in high school. Right? He has graduated college. Right. That's and the part so, that makes me like, wait, what? That's also a little weird. Yeah. Um, right? Like, I mean, maybe she's a senior. Maybe she's 18. Okay. And maybe he's 22. Yeah. Which isn't that big of a deal when you're like... Pushing 30, you know, that age gap isn't that big of a deal. Right. But I feel like at that point in time, 18 to 22, like, I think about what I was like when I was 18 and what I'm like, you know, now-ish. Yeah. And it just feels so different. It's, those years between 18 and 22 are very important. Yeah. And uh, I feel like they're on two I, different I levels think entirely. That, yeah, and I think that kind of uh, negates the idea that nightly or... Paul Rudd, or Ant-Man, sorry. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Is her, like, one true love, because you kind of know, like, you change a lot during college. Yeah. And that's sort of, uh, that's that's the, there's an argument against a film that doesn't really have a climax. It's sort of, the reason it's called Clueless is because you're watching a character who is clueless about the world and about everything, Mm -hmm. because she's grown up in such a sheltered sort of environment where... Her blind optimism, uh, she can just, you know, she believes that if I think, if I, if I think well and I just want something, it will happen. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a hard lesson for her to learn over the very end of the film. But, um, her sort of realization is the, what some people call the Socrates paradox, where it's, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. And uh, that's sort of like her big... That's where she lands. Yeah, it's where yeah. she lands towards the end that's of the how, film. I mean, that's how the book... I, I don't actually feel like I have to say anything and I'll win on this one. You might, yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't need to argue at all. <clears throat> the thing is that... I know I, our audience. <laughs> that I find interesting about uh, this story is that from an outside point of view, you, you kind of... You should hate Emma... Because she tries to meddle in the lives of others and make them sort of, not in her own image, but, you know, change who they are fundamentally, socially, um, and, but you don't really hate her. You sort of, maybe it's because you feel like you know better or you feel smarter, at least in Clueless, you definitely feel smarter than her. You, um, you sort of let her fumble her way through and mess up people's lives um, and still sort of like her and root for her in a weird sense. And I think it comes from, like I mentioned earlier, her like sort of blind optimism. You know she's Mm -hmm. not going in there to tear someone down. Are we talking Emma or are we talking Cher? uh, Cher. Okay. So, yeah, uh, she, she doesn't... You don't feel like she's going in there and knowingly doing harm. She's really trying to, what she thinks, improve people's lives. Okay, so here's here's a question. This has nothing to do with film or book, but, like, just because someone doesn't know they're doing harm, does that excuse the behavior? It. Like, does it? You, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess my, if someone doesn't know that they're doing harm, they need to be made aware of it um and then held responsible for it i guess because it's a really deep podcast yeah uh <laughs> thanks austin because hmm, 
Yeah, because if if the person, I mean, if, 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 if we're bringing it back to the book, like she makes the same mistake over and over, and eventually she learns. But how that's much do you true. For, how much do you forgive somebody for doing the same thing over and over and over? That's true. So as far as book Emma goes, um, I think she's actually one of Austin's like least likable characters, which makes portraying her in any way as like in a movie or whatever hard um because she's hard to like but emma is also one of austin's like most famous works so whatever she did she made this like not so great character into somebody that you do want to root for and you do like and i love it when authors do that i think that shows um a lot of skill to be able to make an unlikable character likable. If we're going to look straight at Emma versus Clueless, my argument is this. That I think we can both appreciate this about the film. That it has 53 different kinds of plaid. <laughs> <laughs> so, You're that's, right. Movie wins. Yeah. Movie wins hands down. Yeah. I've lost. <laughs> that's my argument. Does it really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so perfect. Take that, Emma. <laughs> I I was wrong. The book is terrible. We need the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. I, Emma's Pride and Prejudice is an easier book to like. Uh, it's an easier book to argue. It's you have a very very likable plucky character, mm-hmm. and Emma is. Plucky in her own right, I guess, but like, kind of snobby. Was shares like that too? Yeah, and part of that, and also I think part of the reason you don't outright hate at least share is because you know that she's young, she's mm. naive in a lot of ways, so you forgive sort of her scope, her, her small scope of life and what is acceptable and and how she views the world simply because she's not mature. So we have to talk about Frank Churchill a little bit um, because that's a big part of uh, both the book and the movie where Emma decides she likes the wrong person Mm. because Knightley is beneath her and she's not, um, she doesn't associate with the like... Not beneath. He's just he's just so familiar. She doesn't even look at him, you know. Yeah. Um. But Churchill is like her class, her um social like the same I social see. tier. You know what I mean? So is Churchill gay in the book? No, no. <laughs> uh, I think he's um he's just a di- uh, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a jerk. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's characterized in the movie by Christian, who uh, who is a character that, as soon as you see him, the audience member, at least for me, you know that uh, he's not straight. But they do a pretty good job. I mean, it's just he's perfect for Cher, or so she believes so, because he dresses really well. Right, all of those looks amazing. Reasons. Yeah, um, he's socially acceptable, like uh, Churchill is. Um, he says all the right things. He loves shopping. I'm going back to Clueless. I'm sure that's not the case in <laughs> the book. But, uh, yeah, that's sort of her big blunder. Just not, 
just totally her her idea of things covers the reality of what is, mm-hmm. and uh, you sort of see her get to come to those realizations, which I'm sure isn't the same. Uh, I think same I also book. appreciate that. I've actually liked his adaptation. Uh, it keeps Austin's satire um, intact. Mm-hmm. It's mocking without being malicious, and they both both the book and the movie have that tone. And I think that's actually one of my favorite scenes ever is when Dion accidentally goes on the highway. Oh, yeah, they go on the <laughs> And I love Turk in this movie. Oh, man, he's great. Donald, Donald Faison? Whatever, Turk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't argue against it, not really. Yeah, that's a pretty great scene where they oh accidentally God. get on the highway and they're, get off the highway, <laughs> I do! And they're, like, screaming at each other. And it's like, it's like life or death to them. And it's just so... That's sort of a metaphor for their life. They're just so unaware of of a bigger world out there that yeah. um, uh, it scares the crap out of them. Yeah. And um, the the analogy bit, like the, just the like plot points that they hit are are the same. Like um, uh, Harriet, or what's her name in the movie. Brittany uh, Murphy. Yes, Brittany Murphy's character. Um, I want to say Ty, but I don't yeah, think... yeah, yeah, Ty. Uh, they both fall for Ant Man. Mm-hmm. As as you who how can you resist? <laughs> um, they both have this like uh, I think in the book. What happens? There's like a poem. They they make a painting right or a photo or something in the movie. Yeah, and it sort of starts at a school dance where Ant Man is. <laughs> He he is following Batgirl to a dance to, because her father asked him to, and in order to sort of also he's he sort of secretly chaperoning her, although she's aware of him. But he asks Brittany Murphy's character to dance, and so mm-hmm. that's kind of where mm-hmm. that starts in the movie. Um, yeah, so I mean, your plot points are right, and then the tone is also is also well done. So I I approve of this film. <laughs> But you should always read the source material. Rackham approved. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that's it. Tell us what you think. Let us know your thoughts. And uh, I guess until next time. As if. As if. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye.